And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Fandom Defense Court. Today, I've got uh, with us, so we're, we're going to be discussing here in a second, uh, one of uh, our famous correspondents, Red Lanyard, one of his favorite characters, John Constantine. This could get interesting because John Constantine is not only one of Al's favorite characters, he's also one of my least favorite characters. And so this could get uh, this could get ugly real quick, uh, you know. Uh, but and hopefully it will because quite frankly we need the views, and Lord knows in this day and age, ugliness gets you the views. Okay, so uh, no hitting below the belt, uh, only <laughs> PG thirteen swearing. Okay, uh, you know, and uh, we'll keep the mansplaining. So so yes, yeah, so so we, yeah, so we, we get one F word. and we are we are leaving that one F word to Jenny Raven, obviously. <laughs> So she gets to decide when to use that F word, okay? Uh, I have been uh, uh, reminded uh, several times uh, at this point to mention the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> to mention the Patreon account that we have, in all seriousness. Uh, you have set up a Patreon account. Uh, we're trying to uh, keep this thing running, give you guys some entertainment uh, during this crazy pandemic. Uh, so if you can spend $5, put it on the Patreon, and then you will be, will be able to use your opinion for polls or numerous podcasts coming up later on. Is that all correct, Jake? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. And, uh, you know, uh, you'll, if, even, even if, even if you don't want to give, then please do us a favor, share this podcast, share it on Facebook. Uh, you can probably share We have a Twitter account too. Though. We do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Share it on Twitter. Uh, you know, and let people know uh, that we're out here and that we're doing our thing. So, with us tonight, we've got editor in chief Jacob Fance McCarty, the man of many, many names. As a, as I do. How's it going, guys? We've also got Raven slash Jenny, the lady of the one F word. <laughs> hey, how's it going? I am here myself, Josh, the Wild Sage, and tonight. The person on the hot seat is Al Mattingly, the Red Lanyard. Now, Al, um, we've already done one of these. We did Batman last week. I was on the hot seat, uh, and I took us on a philosophical journey that was way too deep uh, for the likes of a comic book character, but we did it anyway. And uh, this week is a little different, though, because, I mean, I I was actually talking with uh, Jake and Jenny before this that you know, Constantine, he was ranked number 10 on Wizard, Wizard Magazine's uh, best mm-hmm. combat character of all time. Was mm-hmm. ranked number 29 on IGN's best combat character of all time. Was ranked number three on Empire's, uh, Empire Magazine's best combat character of all time, although Jake informs me that's a British uh, magazine, so that would probably explain why he was so popular uh, with that magazine. Uh, so he is a popular character, but, but I would say he's probably not... Uh, as uh, as big a character as Batman, uh, so I'm going to let uh, Jenny uh, ask the first question. I think this is probably a good base question to get us started. So Jenny, what's the first question? Yeah. So um, as somebody who wasn't very familiar with the character, I would like to know what makes him an interesting character, Al. Okay. Um, yeah, that's an excellent um, kind of first question to get me going. So um, there are. I would say there's two primary things that make um, John Constantine um, an interesting character. Um, One of them is um, actually the thing that first kind of got me 
interested in the Hellblazer and Constantine comics um, is that uh, this is a character who very much has strong roots in the occult. Um, for anyone who's trying to kind of conceptualize um, John Constantine, um, there's um, a lot of iterations that have become a bit more popular over the last 15 years or so. Um, in 2005, there was the um, Keanu Reeves um, film, which um, was not entirely an accurate iteration or depiction of um, the character, in my personal opinion. Um, uh, that was kind of the inspiration for that comic was based on um, Garthenus's run um, on Hellblazer. Uh, I mean, Garthenus was kind of known for his time on, on the character for um, for kind of infusing a lot more of um, the religious tones in him uh, that um, have gone kind of in and out uh, depending on the writer, depending on the era of the comics. Um, but um, he is a character that's very much based in the occult side of uh, the DC universe. Um, he's, uh, he was originally um, introduced um, in 1985 um, in um, a Swamp Thing comic. Um, a few years later, he received um, his own comic and was also featured in the first um, portion of Neil Gaiman's um, Sandman comic as well. Uh, Hellblazer, for the longest time, was under uh, the DC Vertigo um, publishing, which Vertigo was very much known for kind of... Um, the darker side, kind of the weirder side of DC Comics. Um, but um, his basis in the occult um, is something that's really interesting. It's something that originally drew me to his character. Um, I don't know how much of a secret it is. I did do a full um, 31 articles um, last October um, in honor of Halloween. But um, I'm interested in the occult. I think it's really f fascinating. Um, I have the benefit of being a, a um, naturally very skeptical person. Um, so I have kind of a s safeguard with my interest in the occult because I don't believe in any of it. But um, it's an interesting area. It kind of um, it brings um, it brings to focus um, a lot of questions that don't often get um, considered when we think about fiction and think about different types of lore. Um, every, um, almost every type of mythology has its own version of the occult or own version of pseudo-religious kind of spirituality um, within it. Uh, that's true of of different kinds of lore and fiction and mythology is true of different kinds of cultures and civilizations and religions. Um, it's something I think that is an inherently very human to, to kind of wonder about kind of the spiritual side of things, kind of the, the quote unquote taboo kind of spiritual side of things. Um, and John Constantine is a character who's very much rooted in those origins, um, which again, I think, are very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting side of the DC universe. It's a very interesting kind of sub 
part of, of fiction in general. Um, and also, the second reason why I think he's really interesting is uh, directly tied to that is because um, we have talked about it. I'm not sure if we talked about it too much on, on the podcast or if it was something we talked about just kind of amongst ourselves, but on the difference between characters who have a strong history and a strong consistency to what their character is and characters who don't kind of have that kind of uh, definitive nature to them. Uh, I think Constantine kind of falls into the latter of those two groups. Um, sure, he has characteristics that um, are very are very much recurring um, throughout his history and throughout his various writers. You know, he's British. He's very dry and sarcastic. Um, he kind of toes the line uh, between... Um, the occult and um, the light side of things, if you will. Um, but a reason why I think that is really interesting to him is not because, oh, well, this character is really inconsistent. You can do whatever you want with him. But um, the reason why I think that's interesting is that John Constantine is a character that you can't really fit into a box. Um, the best way I have to kind of um, describe this facet of his character um, it's kind of weird, but s s stay with me. Uh, you stayed with Josh when he talked about Batman and started to bring in the Crusades and Osama bin Laden and all that stuff. So <laughs> stay with me on this one. Um, is that uh, there's a concept uh, in role-playing games, uh, specifically in Dungeons and Dragons, where a character has an alignment, right? It's like um, where he falls on the spectrum of, of ethics and morality and things like that. Um, if a character is very much good, believes in a consistent code of ethics that everybody should be held to and everybody should be held accountable for, um, you might say that they're a lawful good character. If a character is very much um, evil and self-serving and actively hurts people for their own good and benefit, you might say that they're a neutral evil character um, or something like that. But it's the idea that characters can kind of be understood and described and fit into that kind of characterization uh, or that kind of categorization. Um, uh, anybody who's played Dungeons and Dragons with me when I DM knows that I personally don't use character alignments because I don't think character alignments are realistic. Um, uh, in fiction, we often talk about characters who are static in that uh, they don't change very much. They stay pretty much consistent. And we talk about characters who are um, on the other end of the spectrum are very dynamic who um, go through very um, uh, several developments and several changes and things like that. Somewhere in the center of that spectrum between dynamic and static um, is where John Constantine lives. Um, somewhere within that grid of these nine kind of character alignments fit all of fiction, somewhere within those grids is where John Constantine is. Um, and it's not because he's written inconsistently, because at times he is, uh, just like every character in fiction has always been written inconsistently at some time or another. Um, but it's not just because of that. 
it's because he's a character who very much reacts to things around him, but those reactions are very much based in his own history and what has happened to him. And when John Constantine has to make a decision or make a choice, it very much centers on him having that kind of debate within himself or or trying to find where on that spectrum he is at that point for that situation. Um, and I think that's interesting because I think that's easy to relate to. Um, I think a lot of us have the idea that we like to believe in that like, oh no, I'm going to be consistent with every single thing that happens to me in every single situation I find myself in. But situations can be weird and people can be weird and complicated and there's a lot of things that happen. And the fact that you have a character who lives somewhere in the spectrum and lives somewhere in that kind of ethical kind of development and instability consistently, I think is more interesting because I think it's a very relatable part of his character that, hey, possibly we might not know ourselves or know how, how we would act or decide something as well as we think we do until we get to that situation. And that description very much um, fits who John Constantine is. But um, yeah, those are my two very drawn out reasons why he's, why I believe he's interesting. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I think, I think that that's done. A, that was a good job of doing an overarching uh, character study uh, of John Constantine. I think that was really good. Um, I've got the next two questions. Um, all right. So one of the things that uh, you talked about, you were a fan, you're a fan of, uh, or, or well, you have an interest in, in the occult and uh, magic and uh, the things which is what Constantine pretty much deals with through his entire character arc. Um, typically in comics, occult and magic uh, has a has some type of force behind it. So, for example, uh, a character that I would that I love is Doctor Doom. Okay, and Doctor Doom is very much intent on um, on discovering occult, uh, you know, discovering occult magic uh, and gaining more power that way. Uh, but he hasn't. The reason he wants to do that is because of how his mother died. Okay, he has a he has a driving force behind that, uh, and of course, I mean, I'm not excusing he's totally evil, but like, there's a there's an ambition to his evil. Uh, Doctor Strange is kind of the inverse of that. You know, he's uh, the ambition for him comes from you know almost from being in a place of helplessness, so he uses uh, magic and the occult and and the you know the powers beyond what we can see uh, to to fix helplessness in other people. Um, so you know, those are those are ambitions that both those characters have, and I would say those two, along with Constantine, probably make up uh, three of the more famous occult magic users in comic books. Uh, but I want you to tell me though, what would you say? You know, if you know Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom both have an ambition pushing them, what would you say Constantine's ambition is? Well, um, I would say, and again, as um, I talked about before, this is a character who has 
had a lot of different writers and a lot of different iterations. Um, there's actually a, a very legitimate um, debate with Constantine fans if um, the John Constantine from the Hellblazer comics is really the same character as John Constantine from um, from uh, the New 52 on uh, um, in comics, um, which is a whole other podcast anyway. But um, that being said, um, I would say that John Constantine is very much a person who is driven by trying to find answers. Um, I think when you explore the lore um, of Constantine comics, both in Hellblazer comics as well as the more recent stuff um, in the DC universe, um, you'll find recurring themes of whether the situation is Constantine is trying to track down a magical artifact or he's trying to stop an evil force invading or he's trying to save somebody who's under supernatural duress or whatever it might be. Um, one, the thing that's kind of propelling him forward, the driving force between his behavior and his actions and his pursuit of these things is, is really a, is really a, a quest f- for an answer to, to, I think, a couple questions. One is, going back to my earlier description of him, um, really where he falls in the grand scheme of things. I think John Constantine inherently um, beneath the facade of him being very snarky and self-sufficient and things like that. Um, John Constantine is very much a character who isn't sure of who he is. Um, He isn't sure where he falls on that spectrum of, of good and evil or being selfish or selfless. And so when he goes on these adventures or when he searches for these things or helps these people, I think those are the ways for him to kind of discover his own identity, to kind of figure out, okay, I'm John Constantine. That means I'm a very powerful user of magic and a very powerful exorcist. And I'm extremely knowledgeable of all these areas of the arcane. But, you know, who, I am, who am I as a person? Who am I as an ethical agent, right? And um, there's, almost, there's almost kind of a, not so much suicidal, but a recklessness to the things and the situations he puts himself into. Because, again, they're a way for him to kind of test what he does in different situations tests how he responds to different things and tests how his own ethics and code of morality are going to manifest themselves and how he's going to act because at the end of the day he's a person who knows what he is he knows his qualifications the knows he, th- he knows the things he can do but he doesn't know who he is as a person as a character as a hero or as an antagonist or whatever it might be um i think the second answer or the second question he's trying to find an answer to that kind of drives him forward um is also um, a question that again i think makes him very relatable to people um and it's a question that i don't think comes up 
as much as it should in the more recent Constantine comics, but it came up a bit more um, kind of towards the end of the Hellblazer run and towards the beginning of the Hellblazer run, which is the question of, you know, how is John Constantine going to find peace? Uh, this is a person who has gone through tremendous personal trauma, who uh, has a very, very challenging and difficult past, very challenging childhood, very challenging um, relationships with people. He has seen a lot of terrible things. He has literally seen the worst that the world has to offer and that hell itself has to offer. Um, and he's a person who's not at peace. This is a part of his character that I think um, the 2013 TV show did a really good job at of displaying about his character is that he goes through all of these adventures and does all these things and helps all these people or screws over certain people because he's trying to figure out what is going to, to make the, the craziness and the cynicism and the darkness inside me, what is going to make that go away? What am I going to have to do to be peaceful? Um, and uh, I think a lot of the time, especially his more well-written stories, that's kind of the central thing that's driving him is he's trying to figure out, you know, is there anything out there that outweighs the bad that I've seen or, or the bad that's happened to me? Is there anything that I can believe in anymore? And again, I think that makes him a very relatable character. Okay. Um, you, you know, you, you, you keep saying, <laughs> I, I, I got to point this out, Al. I mean, and here's the thing. I'm not even to the mean-spirited question yet. Uh, but you keep you keep saying things like, you know, things have happened to me, trauma that's happened to him, you know, things that he's seen, stuff like that. Um, but a central part of the Constantine mythos, as far as I know, and I would definitely say part of the Hellblazer mythos more than the New 52 mythos, where New 52 is basically just like this, scamp that goes around stealing people's souls and things that's kind of funny but in the hellblazer uh one of the central parts of who he is as a character is that he causes as much trouble uh as has happened to him arguably he causes more trouble than what's happened to him um so so you know one of the questions you would you brought up is like you know towards the end of the hellblazer run it's you know can he find peace or whatever um, you know, I guess maybe a question I would say offhand is like, you know, is this is is this a character that you would say even deserves to find peace, or you know, is there a redemptive arc to Constantine? I think that that's a question that I'm not sure can be definitively answered because, again, I think that question is inherent to who the character is and why he does the things he does. I think that that's a question that the character John Constantine himself doesn't have an answer to. Um, and I think that fuels, again, that fuels his recklessness, which can lead to the um, situations that you're talking about that can cause him to, um, or that leads to him causing um, a lot of trouble. Um, I think it, I think that question itself also leads him to do the good things that he does as well. Um, just from the fact that he 
He doesn't have an answer to that. John Constantine doesn't know if there's a redemptive arc to John Constantine. Um, that's something that he kind of struggles with as well. Um, and again, I think th- that's kind of a relatable part of his character. I think that that's a struggle that a lot of us have sometimes is, you know, is, is where we fall into things, um, the things that have happened to us or the things that we ourselves have done. Um, how does that allow any room or how much room does it allow for ourselves to ha- ourselves to have a redemptive experience in our lives? Um, obviously in the real world, we s- search for answers through religion or, um, or spirituality or things like that. Um, when you have someone like John Constantine, who's seen with his own eyes, various kinds of spirituality and has kind of seen kind of the hollowness of um, religion and things like that. That's a character um, who, who even more so than the average person has to ask himself that question and, and kind of be robbed of, of answering it himself as well. Also, I don't think we should downplay um, the, the f- formative, um, um, the f- formative um, effects that his early life did have on him. Um, this is a character who was horribly mistreated in asylums. This is a person who had very early encounters with evil. This is a person who had abuse very early in his life, had, who had very traumatizing loss of people he loved early in his life. So to kind of say that like, well, he causes just as much trouble as trouble that happens to him. I think, well, yeah, that's (laughs) that you'll find that that's often what happens to people (laughs) is that um, when they have those kind of experiences early on, that kind of thing is, is very prone to follow them around and very prone to shaping that kind of reckless behavior. Um, So I think it's kind of dangerous to um, discount um, those those early formative experiences on his character as well. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm 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 not I'm not really discounting. I mean, you know, I I know uh, he's definitely got a, a complicated uh, you know relationship with his father, who he uh, later attached his soul to a dead cat at one point, which is you know actually actually probably one of my favorite moments of Constantine. If you want to get right down to it, just because of the sheer vindictiveness of that. <laughs> Um, we don't have time to unpack all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, we don't have time to unpack all that. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not I'm not discounting his, his trauma at all. Um, but but the interesting the interesting thing about Constantine to me, um, and so my my opinion so so once again, this coming from the guy who brought up Osama bin Laden and, and the Crusades uh, from Batman. Uh, my opinion with Constantine is Constantine as a character exists as a part of his time. Constantine comes into play uh, right around the time and really becomes popular around the time of Generation X and uh, the late 80s and 90s and that movement and the slacker movement and uh, a movie we can see in other characters like uh, Why the Last Man and even to an extent Preacher uh, by uh, Garth Ennis, who you've already mentioned. Um, And all these characters have uh, have this thing with them okay and then you kind of stumbled upon it uh where all these characters are basically uh a conglomeration of things that have happened to them 
Um, and so a lot of the authority that happens with them, they can cast aside because, of, like you stated, you know, things they've seen and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, you, you, you know, you basically say, well, okay, you know, Constantine, you know, yes, he's had bad things happen to him. And in the world of comic books, what that means is Constantine's had bad things happen to him. So through his actions, 8 million, uh, uh, innocent children end up in hell at one point and he has to go and fix that or through his actions, um, you know, uh, you know, his best friend uh, ends up, or one of his friends uh, ends up, you know, stuck in a uh, in, in the internet uh, because he allowed his body to get to get emulated while he was out having an out of body experience. So like all these things happen with him, and you know, and my main issue with a lot of the with a lot of the defense of John Constantine as a character is that not so much the fact that he's like this guy who just like well, these horrible things happen and things moves on. It's, I don't really understand, you know, there, there's a, there's a point where moral ambiguity becomes laziness in my opinion, because for example, okay. So Hellblazer seven. Okay. Uh, Actually, I looked this up before I, before I got on here, but I, I I read the first three uh, compendiums of, of Hellblazer. I had a friend at Campbellsville who was just so into these comics and uh, I was a comic book guy and gave them to me, and I read them and, uh, you know, did not have a great experience with them. Let's go. We'll, we'll say that. And um, so in Hellblazer 7, there's this point where one of his friends, Richie, is like, uh, I'm going to go and spy on this uh, occult group uh, so we can, you know, because they're here may do some bad stuff. And the best way I can do it is by entering into the uh, Internet and you have to watch my body. He's basically a technomancer. And something happens while he's in the internet. I can't totally remember what happens, but anyway, his body literally just immolates. It self-immolates. It's just done, okay? Like, it, it spontaneously combusts. And so Constantine, okay, looks at this, okay? And he's horrified, and, you know, Ricky's asking what happened, you know? And basically, he goes over, and he, you know, he's, Ricky's consciousness is in this, like, old 1990s modem, and he basically goes over and unplugs the modem and it's just goodbye, Richie, and moves on. And like, I don't have a problem with that issue, okay? Here's what I have a problem with, though. If you go back to Hellblazer 2, he had taken a demon, uh, the Lord of Flies, Little Lord of Flies, and had placed it inside of uh, his best friend uh, uh, and trapped him in, in, inside of his best friend, which means that he can do some type of, he has the ability if he wants to, if he studies hard enough, or whatever, I don't know. I don't know where his powers come from, honestly. But if he has the ability, if he wants to, you know, with this natural, you know, ability of magic and the occult, to transport souls, transport demons, to both exercise and whatever the opposite of exercise is, you know, and put, you know, different souls in different places, okay? He has that ability. So what I'm asking is, why did he do that in 2, and he has the ability to do that, and yet in 7 where, you know, his friend dies or whatever, gets trapped in the, in the internet, and yet he doesn't do anything for him. And, like, we've seen he has the ability to do stuff like that, and yet he just walks away. So my question then becomes, you know, is Constantine really morally ambiguous, or is he just the victim of lazy writing masquerading as edginess? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to pull 
I'm going to pull a classic you on this because this is very similar to a question you get asked a lot um, with Hatman. Because whenever the debate comes up that says, does Batman kill people or not? An example that's often brought up is when um, Hatman basically leaves AGBs to die. Um, things like that. And you always say, well, if you read f further into the um, comics and things like that, you'll find out that he, uh, Batman had arranged for KGBs to receive help and he did not actually leave him to die. Um, I'm going to pull a little bit of a U on that just with that example you used because I think it's important to remember that um, when that happens, that's not the end of Rich. Reggie Simpson's character um, because he does uh, come back. He, he puts himself in a corpse. Yes, I know. He, he contacts, I'm a, he puts himself in a corpse and he gets taken to hell by two demons. But So it's kind of the end of his character. Right. Um, but that isn't the that isn't the end of his, his character story and Constantine does do things um, for him from there. Um, obviously it doesn't quite exactly go... Um, well for him in the end, but um, anyway, um, it's good to clarify the stories we bring up. Um, but I would say that um, to answer um, your long question with a few j j j j ere words in it, um, I would say that. Um, that's definitely a part of his character's history. Um, again, the character at one point was written by Carthenus, so you're going to have lazy writing translated into edginess um, anytime uh, that writer gets out of somebody. But... Um, I think there's some there's some merit to the idea that Constantine is very much um, a character of his time, um, and because it's true, I mean he was um, the design for his character was based heavily on Sting, like that's just <laughs> that's just he's inherently very much a character of his of his time and of his era. Um, however, I think that when you think about the character's history, um, especially over the last few years, and especially in regards to, well, is he just an edgy character uh, um, because his writing isn't um, very good? Um, I think there are several times throughout his history where his writing is very good. Um, I would say that um, this idea of Constantine being very edgy i think at times yeah that's accurate but i think a lot of other times um it isn't very accurate at all i think there's a difference uh between having that kind of roguelike personality that makes sense for the character and just being edgy and acting edgy for the sake of having edge in your comics um you know, you have stories where John goes completely out of his way to help 
people who are under supernatural duress, who are being possessed by demons and things like that. And he does those things to no real benefit he has. Um, but simply because he found himself in a situation where he could say, hey, this will help get me over the hump. This is going to get me closer on the spectrum to being a good person and possibly helping me find peace. Um, and I don't think there's anything edgy about that. Um, there's stories where he totally does screw people over and he's very self-serving. Um, again, when we examine a majority of those stories, not all of those stories, but when we examine a majority of those stories, we find again, like he's doing it for reasons that he believes help him figure out who he is because he's not the kind of person who does believe, oh, I'm totally a hero, but he's not the kind of person who believes, oh, I'm totally, you know, a bad self-serving guy. Um, to reference another of the stories um, that you referenced in your question, um, when um, he returns to Linden and he has that curse that was put on him by um, a demon on the horse's him to be very sick and basically hell bounds his soul when he returns to London. Um, he goes through occult stuff. We don't have time to go into everything now, but he goes through occult stuff so that um, that curse is passed from him um, to eight million other people um, in London instead. And, and reading that, you're just like, oh, well, that's just like that's just an asshole thing to do. Like, he's just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk, you know? That's an edgy thing to do. Um, further along in the storyline, you find out that the reason why he did that, which turned out to be a temporary thing that he did, was because he was buying time for a psychic ally of his to complete a ritual that took care of the curse and the demon itself entirely. Um, so I think it's easy to look at certain stories and certain moments the character has and say, well, they're just being edgy. He's just being late eighties, early nineties, kind of badass, um, bad boy kind of thing. And I think at times that's totally fair, but, um, I think also at times it can be examined within both the context of the comics but also the context of um, the character um as well to kind of say well why would he act like that does he have other reasons for acting like that what kind of sense do those reasons make in his mind and why would he think along those lines also we have to understand that characters can change over time and characters can fit different kind of contexts uh, depending on their treatment as well. Um, a direct and direct contrast to all the selfless things that Constantine has done over the years. Um, selfish things he's done over the years, I'm sorry. Um, you go to the very first episode of the Constantine TV show um, and you have a Matt Ryan. He's in the asylum. He finds a girl who's being possessed and at first he walks away 
And you're just like, oh, okay, he's going to be that kind of Constantine, right? He's going to be that edgy kind of Constantine who's very self-serving and and doesn't look out for other people. And then you see him stop, and you see him have that internal debate within himself, and you see him eventually turn back and say, okay, I'm going to help this girl. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to see what's going on because I know that only that I'm the only person who can help her right now. Um, you know, you can see that kind of change within him, which I do think uh, makes for a bit more interesting of a character. If y'all can't tell, I really, really enjoyed uh, the Constantine show, but, um, but yeah, also I think you get edgy character scenes like that with almost everybody. Um, you know, you have the entirety of the Dark Knight Returns. Like, <laughs> like that's just, that's just... Well, yeah, I, I would writings and edginess entirely. Yeah, I, I'd include Frank Miller very much in the Generation X uh, yeah. conversation. I mean, he's definitely there, you know, and I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. Uh, but I will, but the thing, the, the thing is, is that, you know, the, the Batman and Dark Knight Returns, um, from start to finish, has a pretty, pretty much the same. And I and 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 and, and here here I, I I will give you this actually something you didn't mention, that actually can help your argument. One of the interesting things about Constantine, particularly in the Hellblazer, is he's one of the few characters in comic books that actually ages. You know, right. he starts out as a young man in uh, Hellblazer one. I think by the end of Garth Ennis' run, he's like sixty, I believe, or something like that. Uh, so like he's, I mean, he ages. So like yes, there's definitely a progression into who he is and stuff like that. And there's a change in his motives and everything like that. I'm not going to take away from that. Okay. But when you have from, from, because when you have in the exact same graphic novel, okay. In the exact same graphic novel, you have a moment where, you know, he basically decides to use his powers almost selflessly. Cause I would say the Lord of the flies issue uh, was really not his fault. It was more his friend's fault. I can't, can't remember his friend's name. I know he traps him in a bottle at one point, lets the bottle go because 80s. And then, like, and then you know, Constantine takes and, and like puts it in his his body and everything. And so, like, you have that happen there. And then, like, where he's so there's almost like this. I mean, I feel like that's almost a selfless moment. I mean, it's not, but it's close, close to your end of Constantine. And then later on, with one of his friends in his screw up, he's just like, yeah, goodbye, Ricky, you know, and like, and and you know, he does, uh, you know, he, I, I, when Ricky puts himself in the corpse, he does try to help, but he also watches as he gets taken to hell, you know, and it's stuff like that is the, the, the whiplash effect that that has on me as a reader. And I, and I understand I'm different from a lot of people on this. It just, it, it really takes me out of what I'm reading um, because I don't mind him being a bad person. You know, I really don't mind him having, you know, making, you know, choice by choice decisions. But I need to have a reason why he's making that choice-by-choice choice decision other than just, you know, well, sometimes you can fight the demons and sometimes you can't, you know. And that's the, that's the, the kind of the, the problem I have there. Um, but but, I, but I, I would agree, his, 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 uh, his, he's, he, he definitely evolves, and, and you, you have a point there. You absolutely have a point there, and I think, and that's probably one of the best parts about his character is his evolution. Because uh, since they do allow him to grow, 
I think that's one of the main issues of you know with a character to compare him to Batman. Uh, you know, Batman never really gets a chance to grow old. You know, or or you know, he's pretty much you know twenty five to thirty five his entire history. Uh, so you kind of almost have to be static with that character. Same with Superman and really any superhero character. But Constantine gets a chance to grow and evolve. Um, and so maybe I just need to, you know, buckle down and read some of those later Garthenus books and I'll understand, you know, more about Constantine. Uh, but you know, that's going to be, that's going to be hard on me, but, uh, but no, I, I that, that was a, that, that was a, no, you're, I think, I think you answered that well though. Al, I definitely think you did. Cool. Uh, which, uh, coincidentally, you know, that actually kind of leads to my next question. Um, <clears throat> Because you had you had mentioned how you know and and really both of you have kind of been talking about it, how he kind of goes back and forth a lot of times, um, and about and you even mentioned kind of earlier on where you said he's a bit he's a bit more of like a neutral character um, if we're going based on you know role playing alignments um, you know and things like that. Um, but so my kind of I guess my question for you is does he ten is does Constantine technically have a moral compass though overall? Uh, in in your opinion, I think he absolutely does. Yeah, I think I think a majority of of what he does, I think the the reasons he has for what he does and the motivations he has um, speak very largely to the fact that he he does possess a compass and he does possess an idea of what is right and what is wrong. Um, he's a character who operates um, in the understanding that s- situations can be complicated and there are other things happening as well, using um, um, the Linden Curse um, example again. Um, f- things that like you just be like, well, that wasn't a good thing of him to do. But when you see the full full picture of things, then you might still very well ask the question, well, was that the only way for him to have done that? Uh, just like, well, I don't know, but it's the way he did it, and the end result was good. Um, um, going back to uh, um, the Richie Simpson um, example um, as well, um, we learned by the end of that character's story that Richie Simpson is not, is not the best of people. Because he very he very quickly jumps at the opportunity to become um, a demon or a hellish creature um, himself, um, and that kind of leads to Constantine just being like, "Well, you know, when agony and ecstasy show up to come and grab you and take you to hell, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna intervene because you've kind of shown me the type of person you are anyway." Um, but um, yeah, I think. I think a person would have to argue pretty, pretty damn hard to say that um, Constantine lacks any kind of compass at all. Um, I mean, gosh, you go to Trinity War and Forever Evil. Um, the main thing Constantine does in those stories is um, he fights Blight, and Blight is kind of the personification of evil and the personification of entropy. Um, you know, a person who doesn't have a moral compass and has the kind of, um, 
has a kind of escape and a retreat practices that Constantine has, being able to travel through dimensions and different planes and different Earths and things like that. Um, to say that Constantine doesn't have any kind of moral compass or doesn't have any kind of ethics or morality, um, if that were if that were true, he would not have lasted a single issue in Forever Evil, because um, his whole function again is to fight blight and a person who who doesn't have a moral compass or a code of morality or a greater image of what okay I might not know day to day what's the best right thing to do but I know what's good and I know what's evil um, that they would not have waited a second when blight showed up and would have just been like oh no I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Earth you know seventeen and you what kind of stuff they got going on over there. You know, there could be a version of me that has dark hair and lives in L.A. Um, that's a it's a 2005 joke for everybody. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's it's very it's two very different and distinct things to say that. A person makes bad decisions and behaves recklessly. And to say that a person lacks morality or lacks a oral ethical compass. Um, because I think we've seen, seen repeatedly Constantine do the right thing or do something that even though it's questionable, he believes will lead to the right thing. Um, I mean, gosh, you even go to, I know a lot of people don't bring this story up, but you want to go all the way to, um, the future's end event. Um, Constantine has a helmet of fate. Um, and the reason he has it, everybody assumes, oh, well, yeah, it's Constantine. He wants to be powerful. He wants all the powerful artifacts for himself. The reason why he has it is because he's just like, y'all, I've seen what's coming. And like, I don't. I don't trust this thing with anybody else. Um, it's that kind of thing. You know, would that kind of decision be judged by some people as as being selfish or self-serving at its root? Possibly. But that's a very John Constantine kind of decision to make. That's the kind of decision that operates on the logic and the reasoning and the split decision kind of thing of saying, I really don't trust this artifact with anybody else um and so i'm going to have it could i possibly do some really bad things with it sure but other people could do some way worse things with it than i would ever do you know it's that kind of thing so yeah yeah to say that like he lacks a moral compass i don't think is right to say flat out just like oh yeah constantine is a hero um, I don't really think that's right when you examine his full lore and the things um, that have happened in his history and the things he's done in his history. But again, I think that kind of is something um, that makes him interesting as well as someone who's, again, trying to figure out if he has a redemption arc and if he is capable of, of being a good person and acting heroically um, or if the kind of sector that he works in kind of um, prevents that um, from ever being a reality. 
Um, I think that's just another interesting part of his character. Okay, I've I've gotta I've gotta interject here. I was supposed to be done, but I'll have to interject here. Okay, like yes, he does fight Blight during Fair for Evil, but what is he doing before he fights Blight? Like, how does he even get involved in that? What what is he what is he attempting to do? Do you remember? Um, he's attempting to procure, to procure Pandora's box. Okay, like, so in between those two things, what does he attempt to do? Um, it's a pretty big arc because it, it shapes Billy Batson's arc later. So, like, he tries to still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. You know, uh, so, like, you know, because he figures out it's a kid and he's like, well, I can trick this kid. You know, so like, I mean, like, I, I mean, look, I, I, I agree. Like, you know, I, I was going to leave New 52 constantly alone because I'm on the side. I think they're two different characters because he's more of a, he's almost more of a just like, you know, I don't know, you know, more of a scamp type character than he is a, you know, out and out, you know, I'm going to damn people to hell kind of thing. But during the, during that one, he's trying to steal Billy Batson's powers for himself. And then also, I mean, yeah, you're right. He does take the, the you know the helmet of fate. He also banishes Nabu, which means he's the only person that ever has the helmet of fate without any restrictions on it. So like, yeah, yes, maybe good things, but not, not not the not the best examples of moral compass I would ever see. Well, yeah, but that again, that kind of points to my s- central point about the character. Is that he? He's a person that is not very often going to have the best examples of having a moral compass, right? Because he, that's that's where he lives. Um, that's where he lives is is making those kinds of decisions and and being f- familiar with that kind of power and that kind of area of of the universe. Um, Things like that, like, um, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to find a perfect example of 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 having um, a, a center of morality, um, then I'm not sure you understand the character because the character, to me, is meant to be a person where you have to kind of kind of search through the weeds. Um, to find that kind of thing again, I don't f- think that that cheapens his his sense of morality, but again, I think his morality is a question he's constantly trying to to search through and find. And sometimes the the less ethical part of his personality and his character and his insecurities do do kind of take over. And that's kind of an example of why he tried to steal the power of Shazam. And things like that but there's also times when the better part of his personality and his his sense of good um also went out so again it's his whole character is based on there being a balance and he himself trying to find where that balance is okay all right all right i'll I'll accept that answer. Conceding? I'll I'll concede that that answer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's uh, it's actually interesting that you do kind of 
you did reference, you know, his time with Justice League Dark. You did reference, you know, the stuff with Kazam and Trinity War and everything. Because actually leads to uh, our final question. Um, and, you know, with, with the New 52 version, you know, and of course the, the idea that they might even be two separate characters, you know, obviously that's kind of that's kind of where this question goes but do you think constantine works as a team player or do you think that he kind of works better by himself i think i don't think i don't think that that's an either or kind of question and i know that sounds like i'm trying to Eat the system a bit, <laughs> but I'll explain. Um, well, you're talking. You're all talking about Constantine. I'm so glad you said it. It kind of, it kind of works. I'm glad so. you said it. Okay. <laughs> I went out. Jake said that. Okay. Right. That very mean comment Jake said. I was. I was thinking it. It was refraining from it. Okay, but anyway, carry on. It was. It was. Just, it was just the perfect. Uh, the you know. I'll kind of cheat the system. Oh, okay. This is. This is perfect. You know. <laughs> but um. No, um, I think um, I prefer to read stories um, with John Constantine in them where he's not a part of a team. Um, It's kind of, writers are kind of in a weird situation with that because they want to write Justice League Dark stuff and Justice League Dark stuff is really cool, but it's hard to write stories about a group of people who operate on the occult side of the DC universe and not somehow include John Constantine, right? Um, And, but the reason I say why that's not an either or question is that um, I think John Constantine's most interesting characteristics also come out the most through his interactions with the people around him. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal this quote. I wish I could attribute this quote correctly because I don't know who said it, but I know it's been said uh, before me. But um, there was someone who was discussing Frank Castle um, and they said, um, and they were responding to a critique about the character that said Frank Castle doesn't have a great rose gallery. And that's very true because he he kills his villains, right? Um, and he was responding to that. And the response he gave was that Frank Castle isn't really a character who needs a rose gallery. Because first of all, it wouldn't make any sense. And second of all, um, that's not how conflict how conflicts in Good Punisher comics work um, because the conflict in Good in good Punisher stories don't come from Frank Castle versus somebody else. Good conflict in those stories comes from the fact that Frank Castle exists and the people around him have to react to that and have to deal with that fact. Um, I think that kind of applies to Constantine's character as well. Um, I mean, you think of John Constantine. John Constantine t- t- doesn't have a great rose gallery either. Um, to be to be completely honest, I love John Constantine, but his his roster of villains is not a strong suit of his comics. 
Um, but I think the most interesting parts of John Constantine's character come out when other people deal with the fact that someone like John Constantine exists. Um, I love his interactions with Zatanna. I love his interactions with um, Edman. I love his interactions with basically everybody um, because um, it's about other people reacting to him and other people trying to figure out uh, the same kind of question that John Constantine is trying to figure out is like, you know, who are you, dude? Like, what, what is your deal? Where do you fall on things? Um, and I think that reveals interesting things about his character. And I think that reveals interesting things about those other characters responding to him. Um, because they often reveal things about themselves as they try to dissect who Constantine is and how they react to him. Um, I don't like him in a team because I don't think um, the way John Constantine works, I don't think that's very conducive to teamwork. Um, that's one thing about the fact that, you know, a lot of John Constantine's friends and allies have had terrible things happen to them. Um, but um, I enjoy, it's a weird question because I enjoy when he teams up with people because it creates those interesting dynamics. Do I think he should be a fixture in a team ever? No. I think he works best when he's doing his own thing and other characters react and deal with the fact that John Constantine is doing Constantine things. But um, yeah, I don't think he should be on a team, but again, I don't know how you really write a Justice League dark um, story without having a character like Constantine in it. So, so it's a weird conundrum. It really is. I think he, I think he brings a lot of levity to Justice League dark too. Um, I would say probably the, when I've most enjoyed him, I'm kind of, the opposite here. When I've most enjoyed him, he's been on a team because when you're dealing with Just League Dark, you're dealing with a lot of these, uh, I mean, I would say like borderline self-righteous characters, uh, Dead Man, Frankenstein, Zatanna, uh, Swamp Thing, definitely. Uh, you know, you've also got this guy who's, you know, particularly in the New 52 and beyond, when he's dealing with things, it's, you know, he just kind of brings this levity to it where it's like, guys, it's, you know, it's not all that serious, even if it is the most serious thing in the world. And uh, so I, I kind of like him on that on that team base that way. I also think on Just League Dark, you said you know a lot of the he get he doesn't work as a team because he gets a lot of people killed. And I think you're absolutely correct. But I think that's one reason why Just League Dark uh, makes so much sense for him to be on because he's got all these guys around him that even if he does screw up in monumental ways, can typically take care of themselves. Uh, so I, I, I kind of, but I see where you're coming from. I think in order to explore the character deeper, I don't know if you can do that on with him on Justice League Dark. I don't know because all those questions that we're bringing up about morality and stuff like that, they don't really pop up when he's on a team. You know, he's just kind of the he's kind of the gray area on the team, so to speak. Yeah. But so yeah, I think I think you probably got a point there, Al. Yeah, I will say that one of my um, just thinking about different character interactions that different people have had with Constantine, stuff like that, that one of my favorite scenes with Constantine 
in it is actually um, towards the beginning of um, the launch of the New 52, where um, there were a lot of questions about how Constantine was going to be handled and things like that. Um, one of the really early issues, um, John Constantine runs into the Spectre, and uh, the Spectre is a weird character anyway. Um, I'm very, I'm very lukewarm <laughs> towards the Spectre, but um, he runs into the Spectre, and by run into the Spectre, usually we mean, you know, the Spectre sought him out and found him, <laughs> very much to his surprise. Um, and you know, when the Spectre shows up, when the Spectre shows up, almost any time, there's like the feeling of just like a tonal shift. Because there's this this energy around the Spectre that just like, you know, he's oh he's a real deal. He like he, he has like judgment powers and he exists like within the within the gray areas of time and space and things like that. Um, Spectre finds John Constantine, says something along the lines of John Constantine, you need to um, account for all the things um, you've done. You've screwed with timelines and fabric of reality and things like that. Um, and Constantine's reaction is basically to just be like, uh, oh my gosh, you're entirely right. I'm so sorry. I will account for everything I've done. And then he tricks him and teleports away, which is just my favorite <laughs> kind of thing. It provides kind of the levity that you're talking about with Justice League Dark because he's talking to the Spectre. Spectre is this big, oh, everything's, everything's serious now. Everything's dark because the Spectre's here. And Con Constantine is just like, oh my God, dude, you're entirely right. And then boop going to teleport away <laughs> because I don't have time for you right now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I probably have enjoyed the character most, uh, and that new 52 stuff. Cause he really does. He, he really is a different voice than most of the characters are used to dealing with. Um, so, so yeah, Al, anything, any, anything else you want to say about, uh, John Constantine, uh, you know, you maybe, uh, like I said, it's different than Batman. So, you know, is there someone else listening to this and, uh, you know, and, um, you know, they're just tired of people that do the right thing and they want to read a good book. Uh, that, that, wow. that was, that, 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 that was a total below the belt. <laughs> I, I, I meant it to be, I thought you'd at least laugh Al. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, you're right. It wasn't funny. I thought it was funny, but whatever. Uh, anyway, it, no, seriously, is there any uh, a, you know story you'd recommend uh, if anybody wants to get into John Constantine? Story you'd recommend them read? Um, yeah, sure. So um, there's actually a few iterations of and stories of his character that um, I really like. Um, uh, I again, I do enjoy. Um, his stuff in the New 52. I haven't really read any of his Rebirth stuff just because I haven't read Rebirth in general. I'm a very bad comic book fan. But um, um, his stuff in the New 52 is usually a lot of fun. Um, his early stuff um, in like the beginning of the Hellblazer stuff kind of gives a good feel for like what his classic character was. Um, on the Jamie Delano stuff is um, our stories. I definitely recommend um those actually have a special place in my heart because uh, my current fiance um and i first time we ever really interacted was because um she uh, was getting into comic books she had heard some interesting stuff about john constantine she'd asked around hey does anybody have like any um hellblazer comics and somebody had directed her to me 
And she was just like, hey, Al, I heard you have Hellblazer comics. And I loaned her out the first volumes of the Delano run. And a couple of other things happened. And now we're engaged. So it's a, it's a wild <laughs> and, and, a ro- and a romance was formed to last, uh, last an eternity. <laughs> I, would like to, uh, I, would, I would also like to tell all my listeners that I did not know that story before I was so mean-spirited towards John Constantine. <laughs> uh, that makes well, me Josh seem, looks like an ass. That makes me seem really horrible. Like, you know, like, you, know, like, you, know, you have this really nice story, you know, about meeting your fiance through constant books. I'm just like, well, he has the moral compass, so he's kind of a horrible person, you know, and like, his character, all of his writers are lazy, so, you know, carry on with it. Uh, so, okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's I, I'm, I'm, you know what's funny? I'm glad you waited until the end of the spot. So, so do I, that you know. That. that was, that was, that was very, that was very clever, very Constantine of you. Very nice. Oh. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, chaos magic. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Like, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. I'm, gonna wait. Yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna, gonna drop this on him later. Yeah, you know, like yeah, he just heard the third question. You know, where I was like, you know, are they just lazy or you know, is he just you know bad or what? You know, I'm like, he was like, all right, I'm gonna wait. He was just like forty minutes. Here we go. Let, let, let's. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. All right. Well, this, this is uh, this was this was good, Al. Al, you did a fantastic job, my man. Uh, Thank you. No. No surprise there, uh, defending, uh, fitting this character. Uh, that whether uh, whether you love him or hate him, definitely probably one of the most important combat characters of the last fifty years, um, and probably and probably one one of if not the most important character um, indie character of all time. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, if you heard stuff you like, uh, definitely go uh, pick up some John Constantine. Uh, his most of his stuff is uh, considered classics by now. Uh, and, um, you know, as always, um, I want to remind you once again, uh, about our Patreon account. Uh, you definitely can get on there, uh, you know, uh, pledge or donate, uh, $5 and, uh, you can, uh, give us suggestions on what you want to hear on podcasts, what you want to read in articles, uh, even maybe what you want to see us stream, uh, you know, and so if, if that's, uh, if you'd like to do that, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, we're going to close uh, tonight, and uh, we're going to uh, say, as we always do, that fandom is for everyone. And I say it on behalf of uh, Jacob Vance McCarty, uh, Al Red Lanyard, Jenny Slash Raven, I'm Josh the Wise Sage. Remember, fandom is for everyone, and thank you for listening. You'll have a good evening. <laughs>